Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. On today's episode, Dr. Debbie talks with Terrell Myers and Keith Stevens. Both are involved in Amateur Athletic Union Basketball, or the AAU, and both are part of the Advancement of Blacks in Sports, or ABIS. Today, they're talking about grassroots basketball and the power it has to change lives. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman. I want the checks, you keep the mate. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Welcome to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. And today is an exciting day because we're going to talk about basketball, my first love. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of the grassroots. Those young men who are out there trying their best to perform so that they can make their high school team, they can make their college team, and then one day possibly play professional basketball. And I have two of the greatest in our nation. I've got Terrell Myers from We Are One, and I've got Keith Stevens from Team Takeover. So I want to welcome you guys to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. excellent. Thanks, Dr. Debbie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to go to where it all started first. And let's start with you, Terrell. Tell us about how you got involved with sports. And then, obviously, basketball is obvious. Well, it is. It is your first love, right? Tell us what happened and how you got to be this avid friend, coach, and advisor to basketball. For me, it started actually on the baseball field. Uh, I started playing baseball and... I just remember, I'm not a good, I don't really like being outside. And it just got, as I got older, it just felt like it just got hotter. So I felt <laughs> like there's, so, I have to find something indoors. And I'm, I remember sitting in a dentist's office and looking at Sports Illustrated and there was a player on the front of Sports Illustrated named King Rice. And that just, that right there, I thought was the coolest thing ever. And I decided, you know, I decided from then on, you know, to pick up a ball and my father always told me whatever you do just be great at it i don't care if you're the if you're the best garbage man be the best garbage man that you can possibly be so i picked it up and worked on my craft and, and fell in love with the game and that that took me on to do some other things and, and and i had a lot of great mentors that really changed my life just with a few words so i just wanted to i wanted to be that person in, in someone else's life Wow. So baseball first. That's interesting. So King Rice, UNC Tar Heel. Do you know King? Did you get a chance to meet him and hang out with him and play ball, dunk on him? King has been at my house. That is my man. I know <laughs> King well. His son Xander actually played in our program. So mm -hmm. I, had, I had the opportunity to coach his son, uh, Xander Rice, who's now at Bucknell. That's right. So we have, we have a, a really good friendship. So it's funny how that goes full circle that now his son is playing in our program. And I actually never told him that story about he was the one that inspired me because he was the number one point guard in the country at the time. So he doesn't even know that that, like seeing him on the front of Sports Illustrated was, was the reason that I chose to, to, to pick up a ball. Well, that's an interesting story. Keith, how about you? Certainly uh, being a leader, in grassroots basketball, how did it all start for you? I think for me, it started. Football was always my first love, but just somewhat similar to Terrell. I, I just I wasn't into being out there in that hot sun every day, 
you know, with all that equipment on. So eventually when I got to, um, I did, I played football my first year of, of uh, first year of high school. And then after that, I just gave it up. Um, and I just think like basketball was just something I always liked doing. You know, I think it was challenging knowing, you know, just knowing the fact that people said I wouldn't be able to be as good because of height and stuff like that. And, and being impactful on a high school team and things like that. So it just was one of those things that kept me somewhat out of trouble and just kept me um just kept me active in it, you know, as far as just like having something to do when, you know, you growing up in a household with seven kids and, and a mom where you're standing in a two bedroom apartment, you know, anytime you can get an outlet where it's not as congested, you wanted to be out there doing something different. Absolutely. Now, I played some basketball with a lot of football players, and what they play is not basketball. Now, are you one of those exactly. types that just no, knocks no, people? No, 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 no. Okay. no, I wasn't that one. I was aggressive, but not to that standpoint. <laughs> okay. I'm just amazed how you have these amazing athletes as football players, but when you get them on the basketball court, their coordination seems to, I'll just say, shift a little bit. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> Excellent. So, what type of athletes were you all? Were you all like super, super competitive, like in your face? I just took you talking smack or were you more like let my game, you know, speak for itself. Terrell, how about you? Um, where, I'm, where I'm from, New Haven, Connecticut, at, at a time, it was the number one place to play high school basketball in the country. We had the number one and two high school teams in the country. So that's what I saw growing up. So you had to be extremely competitive. So I was the kid that, would go down to the courts and they wouldn't let me play. Mm-hmm. And when they wouldn't let me play, when they went down to the other end, I would take a bottle and bust it on the court. If I don't <laughs> play, nobody plays. And they would chase me home every day until you let me play. Wow. So eventually they said, all right, all right, we're going to let you play because you keep ruining our game. And I'm going to let you're going to chase me home every day. So that competitiveness to want to play, it just was in me from the neighborhood, from being one of the smaller guys. Not a, not a lot of trash talking. Or if it was trash talking, it would be witty. It wouldn't be just going back and forth. It would be like shaking your hands at the jump ball and saying, you know, don't take it personal. It happens to everybody that's in front of me. Oh, that's, that's trash talking. But that's all I would say the rest of the game. Oh, okay. Um, and that's it. Um, but the trash talking was part of it, but it was more of, just being able to put the work in and, and having confidence in, in my ability or whatever, my coaching or my team, knowing that we really worked hard to get where we were and we just wanted to prove it. Yeah, excellent. How about you, Keith? Were you a trash talker or were you pretty quiet and let your game speak? Um, I'm not going to say it. Like, I didn't back down, but I was more so a competitor. You know what I mean? Like, where I was definitely a sore loser. <laughs> so, for me, it was just like whatever it took to win – like I would do with anything. I mean, whether it's cheap for game point or, you know, hard foul. Like I was just very competitive. And I think that kind of carried over to, you know, me as an adult and whatever I do, just wanting to be number one at whatever. And I think that was kind of the mentality. Like I said, when you grow up and you're the youngest of seven, like you got to compete. Like, you know, otherwise you get pushed around the house. So it was always like, you know, like who can be on top? And that, that's just the mentality I've always carried in whatever I've done. So tell me about those people who influenced you when you were young. You know, we think about our parents, our guardians, our grandparents, maybe coaches, religious leaders. Was, were there one or two people that influenced you in terms of how you become such a wonderful gentleman today? I mean, I'll say for me, it was my mom. 
you know, just like I say, my mom was a single parent raising seven kids and no one helped her. You know, I and mean? she made sure that we all had what we needed and, and she provided. So for me, that was always, you know, my motivation was to be able to, you know, help out and, and do things that my other siblings might not have done. And also like, you know, the day when she ended up moving, when I, when I had a house built and she moved in with me, like that was the most proudest day of my, of my life, just knowing that all the values that she instilled were paying off and I was able to take care of her and, you know, and give her a, a better place to live than which we, we've ever had in our life. So that was always my goal. Yeah, that's beautiful. Be able to do things for our mothers. Absolutely. Terrell, how about you? Who influenced you when you were, I know a lot of people, but any ones in particular? For sure, it was my grandmother. Just seeing her, you know, same thing, five kids. And I was the youngest of the five. So I was kind of like the grandson, but the, the uncle, you know, the, the nephew right there under my, my youngest aunt. So I was part of that group and just watching her just get up and just work and just work and just come home with a smile and just was always pleasant and you know even if there was a kid or on the street that she knew didn't have a good meal like or didn't have a meal that night she would just say Terrell tell so-and-so to come in and, and grab something to eat and I'm like well it's six of us in here mm. plus granddad and she was like look I want when I pass I want someone to treat my kids the same way that I'm gonna treat theirs so she worked her, she worked and she always just said, anything you want, you got to work hard for it and just, you know, appreciate every day. And she was really kind. And some of the lessons that she, she had, you know, and definitely during that time, it was amazing because I know how hard it was for her at that time to think about how she just had that positive spirit and, and continue to grind every day is astonishing to think, to think about. No, that is so true. In my daily prayers, I give acknowledgement to our ancestors, to those who've gone before us and how they sacrificed and how they prayed and believed that one day we, we would be able to do what we're doing now. So that's a great acknowledgement. So let's talk about these businesses that you all have. I really want to talk about grassroots basketball because for many people, you all have become the replacement for high school basketball for many young people. And I know a lot of people shine the light on you all and think it's all about elite players and you know making sure they go to a power five school and go to the NBA, but you work with just a lot of young people who might not even be on a college team. So Keith, how about if you start off, how did you get Team Takeover started? Tell us what it does. And I know you're in the Washington, greater Washington DC area, but tell us more about Team Takeover. Well, we started probably, it's probably been 14 years now. Um, it started off as a, uh, like a breakoff program, just, just a, a, a secondary program to other, the other bigger programs in the area. And over time, we just grew. And I think a lot of it was just because we, we were kind of instilling different values than everybody else. It wasn't just about winning basketball games as much as it was about, you know, helping kids earn scholarships, um, helping kids become better and, and more um, steady academically. And, and then, you know, we had another component where it was giving some of the adults, males at the time that wanted to go into college coaching or high school coaching, where we were giving them a platform and a mentorship to help them become better in that area to end up achieving those goals. And, it, you know, I think for, for us, the biggest thing is not just the elite athlete, 
but the athlete in general that wants to have an opportunity to go to school free. So I think a lot of times people only focus on, and I know Terrell does this as well, like they focus on our main team, which is the elite team, but not realizing there's always usually in our program, we'll call it an orange team or a gray team, where those are kids that's not as elite, but we're still trying to give them an opportunity to earn a division, a low division one or division two scholarship or a grand and eight at a division three school. So you're still trying to be impactful to as many kids as possible, male or female. You know, and another thing I always say is like people look at sponsorships from these shoe companies, not realizing that small piece of money that they give is only really a part of the foundation. Like it costs so much money to get these kids these opportunities to earn these scholarships and keep them off the street and, and strengthen their academic needs and stuff like that. Like there's so much more to it than just that shoe company or just that elite athlete. No, that's absolutely true. Terrell, tell us about your start and what you have going on with We Are One. Same thing, we started, um, it's funny. I. I just wanted to train kids, right? And then started training some kids in the area. I moved to Delaware, realized they had some talent, um, just the talent wasn't being cultivated. You know, they were getting a lot of the wrong messages, the easy way out. And I decided, you know, the couple of kids I trained said, you know, can you make a team? And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to coach, but I made a team. And then the next thing you know, we had two teams, and then we had three teams, and we had four teams, and then just grew because it grew, it, it grew to be honest, and you know, me and Keith hit it off. We tell the kids and the parents the truth. You might not like what we say. You might not like me, but you will respect where we're coming from, and then later on down the line, you'll understand the message that we were trying to give you. So we started, and, and, and it got bigger, and we got the sponsorship, and as Keith said, people assume that with this sponsorship, it takes care of everything. That's just the beginning. There's so much more to, to this than the sponsorship. You have real relationship with these kids. You have real relationships with their families. You have lifelong relationship. The reason my goal for continuing to do this was I wanted to get the kids away from the car salesman. That was my motivation. Yes. And, and that's, and if I can just get a few to understand that this is the truth, and it's so hard, especially now with social media, it's, 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 the times has changed, but I'm not going to change who we are or what we believe in. And the people don't understand when you talk about our program, we were really fortunate. So the other guys that helped me run it, one owns a, uh, a pharmaceutical company, and the other one is the CFO of a pharmaceutical company. And it's us three that run an AAU program. So when you read this stuff online, it's like you have no clue the type of mind you have behind this or the type of coaching. To be able to coach two or three games and adjust within two hours, you know, and get the kids to understand that we just lost a big game or won a big game, and now we got to rethink what we're doing and, and be ready to coach on the fly. Yes. It's so difficult. I coach high school. High school basketball for me is boring. It's boring. I coach, my team's not very good. We went to the final four this year and I don't have one kid that's gonna play in college. Wow. Because I'm coaching AU, my mind is sharp. It's still sharp and still. Um, 
one of my greatest achievements, not the NBA guys, not the guys playing professionally. One of my kids, the first kid I ever trained, the first one just bought a house in my neighborhood with his wife and child. He's getting That's a house built in my neighborhood. And he's like, coach, I'm moving in the neighborhood with my wife and my child. That's what I get excited about. That's, that's success, for sure. Wow, both of you. You know, it just takes me back to entrepreneurship as well. And not only are you helping them physically and you're helping them mentally because we learn so much from uh, playing sports, but also the role modeling as black men. Having an organization where these young men and young ladies, girls and boys can look up to you all and say, look what they're running, look at this operation. So that says a lot as well. And so we're all connected through ABIS, the Advancement of Blacks in Sports. And indeed, it is a wonderful umbrella organization, nonprofit, to help Blacks advance in this vast industry. And whether or not you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, whether you're an administrator, a franchise owner, a business owner, a vendor, what can we do to improve our lot in the sport world? And so I want to ask both of you, what is your why? Why did you connect with the ABIS and why are you on the team? Keith, how about yourself? I think for me, when Gary reached out and asked me to be a part of it, the biggest thing was how can I, if I was to be a part of it, how can I, how can I be a voice and an advocate for the kids? You know what I mean? Like, so I knew that, you know, that not to say that the adults didn't matter because I knew we could find a way to help them, but when it's a group of adults, like you can, sometimes you can easily lose the sight of the kids. And I, I just felt like there were some rules and things that we needed to challenge to get these mostly African-American kids an equal opportunity or as equal as possible to have a chance to go get a college education. And, and that for me was my why, you know, how can I use my somewhat of what I guess they say power or, or my voice to make a difference and be an advocate for these kids when it comes to you know, the 10-7 rule or which, which is considered the modern day propagating and things like that. Like, how can I help to challenge some of those rules so they would at least change it? So some of these kids who, who might start off slow will have a, have a chance to recover during their high school years and still be able to attend college. Thank you. Thank you. Terrell, what's your why? I, I've always enjoyed being black and I, and, and I love it. I love it. And I, I saw... At a young age, I just saw the system. I'm like, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. We have all the talent, but we don't see our people that look like me in these powerful positions. So growing, you know, as a high school player, um, I always wanted to play for a black coach. I thought I was going to play for Mike Jarvis at George Washington. Um, I thought I was going to play at Georgetown. Uh, really quick story. thought I was going to play at Georgetown. Went to a prep school. I had a great day when Georgetown was there. Big John was there. I had a great day. Probably my best day ever. And he offered me a scholarship. So I tell my coach and my friends, I'm going to Georgetown. My coach looked at me and said, you're not good enough, money. <laughs> wow. He was real. He th I actually talked to him this morning, and, and he was right. That next year, Georgetown got Victor Payne and Island Iverson. I would have never played. Um, so he was right. So my thing is, I just I had this dream of just, I would love to see 
are black coaches be successful? I think there's a lot behind that. If you have a black coach win a national championship, what happens then it starts to trickle down effect where now his assistant coaches get jobs. And now they're in the final four. Now they're, they're, their assistant coaches get jobs. So my goal and my dream, my lifelong mission, and Gary, you know, he reached out. He, I've talked about this for, for years. If we can get a top three recruiting class to go to an HBCU, the number one recruiting class, we will change the dynamics of this sport. The money's going to come, the endorsement's going to come, and these kids are still going to get what they should after. Now we just have to get people that are, like me and Keith talking about, on our side. On our side of the Senate, 5149, we just have to get like-minded people that are woke that want to see this happen as well. Well, you both referenced the founder of ABIS, Gary Charles, who's considered the godfather or grandfather of grassroots basketball in New York, who, who brought everybody together, really, his reach, his extensive reach. And thinking about HBCUs and the role that they played in education for many, many Blacks in our country. And my thought is that if we could at least get the top 50 players to put an HBCU as one of their finalists, at least take that step because that would draw the media. People be, will inquire more about these schools and quite possibly they might be the final selection, but at least put them in their final uh, group. So let's talk about life after these amazing organizations, your legacy. And so if you had a magic wand, what other profession outside of your current role, what other profession or job would you want to do? Or would you have pursued if it wasn't this? Keith? Honestly, I don't think it was ever anything. Everything I always said I would do would be around basketball. You know, and it was be it coaching, be it playing, be it, you know, you know, at some point working in the NBA as an, as an executive, like it was never anything else. And it's still, and that, that hasn't changed. Like, I think when I stop, whatever I'm doing is going to be me stopping something in the in the basketball realm. Like I don't think it would, I will waver away from this because I think this is where I can, I can still be impactful at every level and help, be it young young kids or or grown men, you know, to see what is really out here now in our society and how to prep for it and and how to deal with adverse situations. So for me, I think this is pretty much, this is my world. This is my. This is, my, this is my sanctuary. Well, then I have to ask you, is there a particular modern day, modern day player or team that you follow for their excellence on the court or for their activism, their social justice work? You know what? The majority of, the majority of players that I follow, honestly, is just the players that came out of my organization. Um, and same thing with, you know, with Saw, Saw, as far as teams, I think, if it's anything I look for is like, I like people that speak what they really feel and what they believe and stand for something. Always still guys. Like I feel like that's what we lack, you know, in the, in the late night, in the late eighties and early nineties, we had guys like John Chaney and Don Thompson Jr. And, and Nolan Richardson and guys that really stood for something. I don't think we have that now. So to be honest, it's really no, not knocking anybody that's what they're doing. I don't really follow people because, in the sports world, because I just don't think they have the same values and morals and, and, and standing for things that, that we see on Rome right now. Well stated. I would say courage. A lot of yeah. people yeah. not yeah. on yeah. platform. Yeah. Yeah. Terrell, how about you? Outside of what you're current, currently doing, any other 
careers or professions you would have pursued? To be honest, I mean, like now I'm getting into politics. So I'm interested in it. I don't know if I would want to do that. At a young age, I used to always tell my grandmother that I'm not, I'm going to work smarter, not harder, because I saw how hard she worked. Um, so I honestly just, you know, always just wanted to make an impact in young people's lives. And, and for me, it's kind of, it's a blessing where I'm at a, a prestigious private boarding school. So I can really, with our kids that are there, I can shine some light because they're, as I call it, they're in a bubble. So I have to keep them woke. And I'm also in there and I can see how things work. I, I get a good, I get a, I get to understand some things, but then I'm also on the ground floor and I'm in, you know, I'm in the trenches and I love it. You know, I, I tell people and they joke, he's like, sometimes I walk in a house and I cry and they're like, why are you sad? I'm like, no, cause this, it can't get better than this. I'm happy. I'm happy about what I'm doing. Um, I see when we make this, the, you know, we're making impact in these young, these young men lives and, we have kids that are doing so many positive things. And I, you know, and I'm proud to say it, in our organization, we probably have like a 98% graduation rate. Our kids graduate, you know, so that's all I've ever wanted to do is just make an impact in people's lives. And, and then ABIS came and it's like, I think I can make a greater impact. And I saw Keith was on and I've always admired his program. How he ran things straightforward, no games. If you don't like the way we do it, find another team because it's not going to change. Um, so just making that impact and getting with other other guys that see the same way, or it's just it's just been really rewarding for me. Well, thank you both. I've got to close with this last question. And so when it's all over and you're sitting in your favorite rocking chair and you're watching your favorite team or former athletes, what do you want people to remember you for, Terrell? There's a few things. So I have this thing, right, where I feel like when I used to always talk to my grandmother about slavery, like I tried to, I wanted to know, like, how, like, how was it back, you know, back then? How was it? And what I always thought, and I'm reading books and I'm watching movies, and I'm saying, if I lived back then, I wouldn't have lived long. <laughs> I say that too. I wouldn't live long. But here's the scary part, right? Here's the scary part. When my great-grandkids look back, are they going to look at us and say, if I lived back then, I wouldn't live long? So are we just reliving what our parents went through? Or, you know, so that, that's, for me, I just want to be like somebody that put it out there, wasn't afraid to fight for what I, I believed in, and just was straight up. Like, I'm going to just tell you how it is. And, and I was who you thought I was. Wonderful. And that's it. Keith, how about you? What do you want people to remember you for? For me, the biggest thing is just my legacy. You know, I want people to say that I did things the right way and I was selfless and that I tried to help anybody that came across my path. Um, thing is just knowing that everything I did, I did for the betterment, not just for myself, but those around me and those that was coming after me. And just knowing that I was able to impact, you know, impact lives that would that will carry on and chain down to their family and their family and their family and their family. Like where I'm constantly doing things that make a difference in someone's household. That's, that's my biggest thing is like knowing that I set a standard that people will want to follow and be better. Well, I appreciate both of you. ABIS appreciates you and certainly the way that you are making an impact with so many lives and it's generational as well. 
And so thank you again for joining me today. If you only knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman, Terrell Myers, and Keith Stevens. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I want the checks. You keep the mate. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Been accused of stealing the refuse. My feelings excuse my healing. That was Dr. Debbie Stroman with Terrell Myers and Keith Stevens. To learn more about ABIS, visit weareabis.org. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And hit the subscribe button, too. That way, you'll be notified when next week's episode launches. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence and is brought to you by thediversitymovement.com. Intro and outro music for this episode is from Soteria, and you can find more of her music at imsoteria.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. Come, semi-colon, comma, the vultures are...